Next Chapter Podcast. Sometimes I get you so jabbed up as he would do. Sometimes I get a little bit so. Oh my see Baba Dee Bado. This is the perfect album to listen to during the quarantine. This really is the perfect album for the quarantine. It just sets you right in your doodle-doos, and you are gliding all the way to April 30th. And no, that is not the date <laughs> where the podcast ends. That is how much more time we've at least got in this quarantine. But you were just listening to Growing Pains by Peter Wolf off his 2002 album Sleepless. It's also number 427 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, the 500, with me, the King Kadoogle. What's up, all you doodly-doos? How you Kadoogles doing? Once again, thank you for joining me as we go through Rolling Stone magazines. Top 500 albums all the way down from 500 to 1. Home. I got high way too early today. I've I've already committed to my comfy clothes for 99% of the day. There's only one moment that I'm not wearing them, and it's when I'm taking a bath. Besides that, I hope you are all in your comfy cumps. Your night pants. Go out into the world in your night pants. Do whatever you want. Because this is it. This is the one time in our life where everybody around the world, at least the big percentage of them, are wearing their sleep sleeps all day long. So be lazy. Listen to these albums, guys. If you want to skip ahead, go ahead. This is a good one. All right. Released on September 10th, 2002 on Artemis Records and produced by Peter Wolf and Kenny White, Sleepless is the sixth studio album by blues rock soul vocalist Peter Wolf. Wolf was the energetic quip-slinging singer for Boston's The Jay Giles Band until he left to pursue a solo career. Uh, Morty never put wording like that in there ever again. Energetic quip-slinging singer. Now, and leave that in the podcast. Born Peter Blankfield on March 7, 1946 in the Bronx, New York, Peter attended the High School of Music and Art in West Harlem near the historic Apollo Theater, and it was there. Peter saw many of the great R&B and soul artists of the era. A few years after dropping out of high school, Wolf moved to Boston to study painting and formed R&B band The Hallucinations. But after seeing an acoustic The Jay Giles Blues Band, he quit art school to join them. They dropped blues from their name and saw instant success in the Boston area. And from 1970 to 1983, put out 13 albums with numerous top 10 singles. But after their biggest success with 1981's Freeze Frame, Wolf called it quits and began his solo career. After three charting solo albums, Wolf was at odds with his record company and figured Sleepless would get buried in corporate bureaucracy. So he did what he wanted without worrying about commercial viability, hooks, and singles. Besides some covers, Peter composed half the record with his longtime songwriting partner, Will Jennings. And in the liner notes, Wolf even wrote that changes and surprises are the results of good collaborations. And three of those good collaborations were Steve Earle, Keith Richards, and Mick Jagger. All of those motherfuckers are on the 500 list. 
When released, Sleepless was praised for its devotion to Wolf's roots and his return to form. Wolf has had numerous reunion tours with the Jay Giles Band, and his solo career has continued on with many critical successes. And I got a guest that's had a shitload of critical successes himself. The one and only, the godfather of the goddamn comedy jam, a true Duke. This dude is just like all y'all, a true Duke. The one and only, Billy Burr. You know Burr from being in the TV show, The Mandalorian, and he's a real Dougal. He actually put me on television for the first time on Bill Burr Presents The Ringers. I'm on his cartoon, which is on Netflix. We got a new season, season four coming out of F is for Family, which is dope. And he's got one of the biggest podcasts out there, the Monday Morning Podcast. And if you've never seen any of his specials, just start at the bottom. Right at his like first, started his fucking HBO half hour and just work your way up all the way up to his brand new one, Paper Tiger, which is out now on Netflix. Bill is one of my closest friends. We're neighbors, like I love him. And this was the first episode we did during the quarantine that was recorded during the quarantine. So Bill is all the way at his house. I am all the way at my house. We talked on the phone, set up our, our mics, and then and then my producer listened in and we just did it. And just the fact that he would take time out of, of doing nothing because we're all not doing anything right now. It made me feel good. And he's a true Peter Wolf dude. I hit him up. I was like, yo, dude, do you know who Peter Wolf is? And he goes, fucking one of the best lead singers of all time from Boston area was in a beef with Steven Tyler. And I was like, can you please, dear God, do my episode because I need you. Uh, Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, and The 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 427 out of 500, yeah. Oh, sleepless by Peter Wolf. Enjoy. Careful what you pursue. Choosing it, it chooses you. Every day is a burr and a bill and a burn. Jack a doom, jack a Every day Um, What's going on? All right, so we were trying to find a guest for this, and I threw the Hail Mary out about Peter Wolf, and you immediately were like, dude, he's one of the best front men of all time. So tell me about- Absolutely is. Tell me about when you first heard Peter Wolf. First time I heard Peter Wolf, I was working in uh, a warehouse, or as the Latino guy used to call it, yeah, wow. <laughs> um, I was working in a warehouse. Yeah, it was a big thing with the boss. This is not a factory. It's a wow, <laughs> when he was yelling at the boss. Um, yeah, uh, the Jake Isles band came on, and it was that great live album that they put out where, you know, Magic Dick went crazy with the uh, harmonica and everything, and he just had this great rapport with the crowd band was really tight just a real party good time fun band um and i could hear how good a front man he was without even seeing him and interestingly enough 
Um, I heard him on WBCN, and he was one of the original DJs of WBCN. Like every yeah. every um, city has like that rock station that lasted from the late '60s, somewhere in the '90s or whatever 2000s. It went away as yeah. as just you know. <laughs> People got into hip-hop and different kinds of music came, and then the rock stations became all classics and died. But he was one of the original DJs. So back then when you were a DJ, you had to have a rap. You know, you could talk real fast what was his and say rap? all this cool stuff. What was his rap? <laughs> um, I don't know what it was because it was before my time. If it's anything like if it's anything like the way he sings, he's definitely like, all right, everybody, we're going to be giving you hell. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's this album. That was this album. <laughs> okay. He was a with a green tongue, bitch, let down your hair so I can crawl up there, Raputa the Buddha. He was all over the place. He was crazy. This is him. This album here, though, is him. Um, what I love about this album and that I actually feel like I'm going to apply and I try to apply to my career is being your age is if you want longevity aside from quality, and not being a jerk and screwing people over. If you're a good guy and people want to work with you, if you're, um, whatever you're creating, it, if it ages with you, you 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 still can maintain something that people want to look at, rather than get bored with it or look away. And that happened to so many of the bands that I listened to in the '80s, who. When the 90s came around, they were still singing that party stuff. And they were all like mid-30s sliding into 40. And it just didn't make any sense anymore. And then when the 2000s came along, then it just started getting ridiculous. But it was the bands that continued, you know, that just sort of wrote to their age. You know, it's the same thing if you're just a regular person. If, if you know, if you're dressing like you're in your 20s and you're in your 20s, that's cool. Yeah, but if you're if you do that if in you're your doing 40s, the 40s and yeah, 50s, it, you look like you're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah, what, what's, what's this, what's this what, creep? Is he trying to get an 18-year-old girlfriend? Why is a 16-year-old, a 60-year-old dressing like Belle Biv DeVoe? You're like, I don't know. It's, just, yes. it's still in my heart. But yeah, but that's not on your face. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> as a kid when I would see people like that, they creep me out because I was like, I, they, you know. This is before to catch a predator, so you just thought they were just some <laughs> dirty old man. You didn't know. So what I like about, you know, um, I think the reason why the Rolling Stones age so well is because they, you know, they came out with their blues stuff in the beginning, all the covers and stuff. Yeah. Then they were writing what they knew, and they were single men and all that. Then they started getting families. They were getting older. Drug addiction, all of this stuff. They just were writing about their life, and they you know, their material aged with them. So they never looked foolish or boring or anything like that to me. So, you know, and I feel, uh, comedians are the same way. Yeah. You should be talking about your life and you get to a certain age. And I mean, that tattoo you, I just listened to the other day. It's, it's just such an incredible, I'm just waiting on a friend. That's, that's literally a rock star. I've banged half the world. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not looking for this. I'm not looking for that. I'm just waiting on a friend. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's just like, that is singing to your age. If he's still like, you know, like up there doing whatever, like, you know, like the Gene Simmons thing where you're 60 and you're still, I, I fucked over <laughs> 5,000 women. It's like, ah, party, party. You're like, it's right, just dude. like, you're 65 Gene, stop. With a man no, no, bun. I'm not talking about his no. stage act. Okay. I'm not talking about his stage act. Yeah. I'm talking about in interviews where he has to constantly <laughs> remind you how much pussy he got. It's just like, dude, 
First of all, your head, you look like one of the Mount Rushmore heads at this point. He yeah. has this giant square head and he's just He's like a Koopa His trooper, hair's dyed. Yeah. I don't I I don't know what's on top of his head and all he's talking about is all this pussy he got. It's just like <laughs> All right. Okay, that's okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> like sure that, that happened with that haircut. You still you got pussy still this yeah. day. Yeah, you you had a, you had a two on one with Glenn Miller. So, anyways, what I liked about this Peter Wolf thing was this album was which I had never heard. Sleepless was he wasn't being the wild man. The DJ, the the front man of the party band, Jake Isles band, and all that stuff. There was a maturity to this thing that I could listen to, and the subject matter. You know, it was a couple of fun songs too, yeah. but like, um, just the tone of it. I felt like you know this is the th- thing you could go and watch him with a band perform it and have and have a really just quality evening of entertainment. I fucking love the guy. So, in my opinion is basically on the same level as you because the only P-dub I actually knew was like Centerfold, uh, what is the song, Love Love Stinks. Like I only knew the hits of Jay Gow's band. So I had no idea who this guy was when I put this record on to listen to it for the first time. And immediately I was a fan because I don't know what it was about the record, but just the way it leads you on, like leads you into the record with growing pains, I was immediately connected to it. And as the album goes, I started going back and listening to more Jay Giles, and I was like, oh man, like this is mature, and it's, but it's still hip, and it still feels like it's got that underlying rock star mythos. But like you said, it's just about a guy that that is aging and, and he's just singing about all of that shit. Yeah, you can hear you can hear the road and the experience just in his voice and, and the whole thing. It's just it's really, really cool record. What I actually thought was really cool, I did a little bit of research on this, and I read that this album, you have to think that this is a couple this is his sixth studio record this is six solo album released and at the point of making this record he was so frustrated with the record company for being stupid and ignoring his albums with with little promo and not doing anything so when he went in to make this record he figured it would just get buried in all the corporate bureaucracy so he just was like fuck it i have no expectations i'm gonna do whatever i want i don't care about commercial viability i don't care about hooks i don't care about singles i'm gonna get my my longtime writing partner will jennings who it's it's so incredible that He's working with the guy that's written for Steve Winwood, B.B. King. He wrote Tears in Heaven with Eric Clapton. He even wrote My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. And so him and this dude are working together. And in my opinion, I, I think this is like a perfect record because it just puts you in a perfect mood. Like you can listen to this album in any situation and it would just make your mood perfect. The only exception would probably be the gym because it would be hard to throw weights around while in your headphones it's rocking with, hey, Jordan, that's a girl's <laughs> name on a go. A ski good like a do. I love that song. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. You know, when he split up with Jake Isles, his first album that came out was super, super commercial. And I think he got really bad advice. And it just wasn't like he was a gritty, sleazy rock kind of guy. 
And that was at the, remember that? The lights out, uh-huh. Flash, flash, flash. It was just, I remember watching that going, who the hell is this guy? It just, I mean, that happened with a lot of, um, a lot of front men that they would, they would come out of something. Like that David Lee Roth record when he came out of um, Van Halen. When that came out, I was like, all right, so this is like all personality driven, this idea of who they think this guy is. Um, and Because I read David Lee Roth's autobiography, super deep guy, and didn't do any of that Gene Simmons, look at all the pussy. He just was like, look, you guys have heard the stories. I'm not going to retell them. And then he started telling all these stories about how after shows he'd be so wired he would just get on a bicycle and ride through cities, like when he was in Europe yeah. at night. And he was saying that was like the best way to take in the history of a city. You could sense it. And I connected to that because one night I had jet lag. I was in Italy, and I smoked a cigar right outside of Vatican City in Rome. And I was sitting there going, it, it literally felt like like a chariot was going to come around the corner <laughs> until this weird guy who I, th- I couldn't tell if he was gay or he wanted to mug me came up and started talking to me in Italian. So I had to kind of keep my distant, like Corona shit, you yeah. know? And I worked my way over to where all these young kids in their Vespas were getting some uh, gelatos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forgive that son of a bitch uh, for, for ruining the, the, the second half of that cigar. <laughs> so anyways, let's go. Sorry, right, let's get into the record. Let's dive into this thing. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. All right, it opens up with growing pain. Uh, so this, like I said, is my first real anything p-dub related because at this point the first time i put this on i had no Stop idea calling him p-dub that's not nah, i've already decided upon that and i wrote it about a hundred times in my script oh, so Jesus all Christ. right dude peter okay. wolf is that fucking okay show your goddamn respect so like i said this is was my first real peter wolf is that good bill anything Yes. And I had no idea what to expect. And immediately my first real my first reaction was just okay. All right. 
play the best part, in my opinion, <laughs> in the entire. Okay. Okay. He does all the... this work, and all he gets out of you is a okay. <laughs> all right, play play my favorite part of the entire record at two thirty one. It's as clear to me as cellophane. All my chances going down that drain. Everything around here is a growing thing. So this, in my opinion, is a very Bob Dylan-y song. Yes. And it was co-written with Angelo Petraglia, who co-wrote and produced a bunch of songs with Kings of Leon, which kind of blew my mind because I, I just wouldn't have thought that this guy would be working with someone like Peter Wolf and then working with a band that's doing like the, my sex is on fire. Like I just never would have... Imagine that. Thoughts on this song? Would, would it, any anything that came up when you when you heard this? Um, that's what I was first going. Okay, this sounds like Dylan. I was easing into the album. Yeah. When I listened to it, I was like, "All right, this is a different kind of vibe." I liked that it sounded mature, older, you know, like he is. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna have to listen to him, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blowing out the crotch in his pants as he tries to still do a James Brown split. Yeah. There's never, you know, all that does is remind me of my own mortality and I start getting depressed. Yeah. Oh my God, he's going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. But Growing Pains, I thought was a nice way to ease your way into his vibe. I thought the album took off more on the, uh, the second track. All right. But let me ask you a question about this one. Let's talk about growing up here. When did you first feel like you were a grown up? Uh, that's a two-parter because I was aware that I was a grown-up but didn't feel like one until my, uh, my 40s. I don't think I felt like, uh, I felt real weird in my 30s where I was just like, I still feel like I'm 17. What is wrong with me? Yeah. I'm still thinking things that a 17-year-old thinks. But somewhere in my 40s, you know, got married, got a mortgage, and then had a kid. I think this is, this was the moment. I was having a bunch of adult friends over who were all married and had kids. And I was sitting on my back porch with a bunch of you guys. We were about ready to uh, smoke some cigars. And I was keeping my eye. You know, my wife was watching our daughter. And this, I looked out and there was this little kid peeking over these shrubs. And he had this look on his face. And without even thinking, I just yelled over. I said, hey, hey, little man. <laughs> Whatever you're thinking of doing, don't do it. And he kind of had this impish smile, and he walked away. And uh, I thought, like, holy shit, did I just do that? Like, what the fuck was that? And then uh, DeRosa was there. And he goes, dude, that was like some, some you know, grade A dad shit. I go, yeah, it was pretty good, right? I just saw, he was going to do something. I didn't know what he was going to do. You just tell, yeah, it was in his eye. I just knew. I said, whatever you're going to do, don't, whatever you're thinking, don't do it. And that was it. And he smiled and walked away. Um, he was probably going to throw something. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what boys do. They're very big. If if they're above you and you're below them on something, they're going to throw something at you. All right, let's let's dive into the next song. Uh, Nothing but the wheel. Peter, play the chorus at two forty. The only thing I know for sure is you don't want me anymore, and I'm holding on to nothing but the wheel. Just a roadhouse country blues number about driving. But this was the song where I started taking Peter Wolf seriously because I'm listening to this song and I'm like, dude, this background singer sounds like Mick Jagger. And then I go on Wikipedia and I was like, holy fuck, it's Mick Jagger. No, dude, here's the deal. Here's a 
he he is one of the great front men that never quite got I feel hit um the acknowledgement that he deserves, but all the guys who are the real deals, the Mick Jaggers, they know like like this guy, if this guy just got with the right group of guys, like from what I heard back in the day, Jake Isles and Aerosmith were coming up at the same time. And there was a great rivalry between Steven Tyler and Peter Wolf, as far as trying to outdo each other. And like there was competition there. So he was going blow for blow was Steven Tyler. And I remember years later hearing a story when uh, Aerosmith did Fenway Park, um, Peter Wolf opened. So they kind of were like, hey, they're friends now, whatever. But I, I think I, from the way I heard the story was Peter Wolf was not allowed to use Steven's long runway where he gallops out into the crowd and does all his amazing Steven Tyler shit. Starts doing the Sometimes he, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all that shit, right? Yeah. Right. So, yes, yeah, Joe Perry's shirtless whipping his guitar. Yeah, just bringing the house down. Fucking Aerosmith. Yeah. The greatest, right? Yeah. So they don't want anybody else already doing some shit out there, so it's new or whatever. And from what I heard, Peter Wolf was like, fuck that. And he did it anyways, which I thought was cool. Fuck yeah, I mean, dude. I don't know. I heard that story from a friend, from a friend, from a friend who allegedly knew somebody. Um, but yeah, so he's like, yeah, he is. He's like uh, the real deal. You know, there's a, you know, we know comedians like that. We know comedians, uh, you know, that are 10 times funnier than, than a, whoever in the moment is getting all like the attention. Yeah. And, and that's sort of a reoccurring thing. It's why I love uh, Andrew Themelis, who produces my podcast. He he gets me to music that I don't know how to. Get, I don't know how he gets to it. Yeah. I don't know. Like he finds all of this amazing stuff that is just outside of my grasp because it's like if I don't hear it at the mall, I'm not going to hear it. <laughs> I'm too busy. Not to not to not to switch subjects, but that that Steven Tyler, Peter Wolf. Uh, there's an article in Boston.com that says they were at odds before the show. So that is that is true. Exactly what you said. And isn't that amazing that with all the success, you know, you still stay a certain age. And it's just like, you know, there's certain comedy clubs for me. If I ate my balls there when I was really young, when I go back even now, like in it, my yeah. head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going, all right, man. Yeah. Yeah. you like, you get a little nervous. And you're just like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this. I, I, did, I did a gig over here. I can do this gig. But your, your brain kind of goes back to that. So I think it's really interesting that they went back to that because, you know, I had rivalries with other comics competing with them and all that stuff. And then you get to a certain level of maturity and you understand that the only thing in your way is you. And then that's when you just sort of that's when I, I think you start. It starts being easy. You know, you just sort of go, go tapping into whatever is in you. All right. The next track, a lot of good ones gone. Peter, play the chorus. I feel the passing He talked about how Peter has grown up, how he's in a he's really an adult rock star. You can only imagine the amount of friends that he's lost in his 30 or 40 year career and and great women great women that he burned through yeah and he was thinking i should have settled down with her yeah there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways 
to take when this. When I yeah. listened to this, yeah, I was thinking about Patrice and, 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 and Mitch Hedberg, all these great comics, some that I knew more than others. I didn't know Mitch that well, but um, Patrice was one of my great friends in life and uh, people in and out of this business. And then it made me think of old girlfriends where, you know, I have a lot of girlfriends where I think, uh, I just wish I never met her. So she didn't have to go through the pain of being with me in a relationship <laughs> back then. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I was... I was one of the worst guys ever because I was total marriage material and a complete stealth psycho. And you had no idea how <laughs> fucked up I was. Yeah. So they would f fall pretty quickly. It was just awful. I broke a couple of hearts. And, I, and you know, I always, feel, I always had guilt with that until they got married. Once they got married, had a kid or whatever, and then I was just like, okay, it's off me. Whatever voodoo doll they have, they've, they've <laughs> taken to goodwill and thrown out. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> but um yeah it made me think of that it made me think of uh you know i also thought that it was also uplifting too because despite all of that you know he keeps carrying on and it's just something you have you have to kind of go through yeah i mean dude that song late at night you know with a cigar or something like that or whatever your thing is couple hits on a joint maybe a glass of red wine sitting on your porch or whatever, or just in your living room or something like that. Like that's like a, uh, it's a, it's a really, it's a, you know, that's one of those songs that I would, I would actually prefer to listen to alone. Oh, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause this will, this will get you. This will get you in the feels, man. This will definitely get you there. Um, <laughs> I've got like, a, I got a whole shitload of like, of lonesome songs that this is definitely adding to that, to the playlist. Um, all right, next song, never like this before. Peter, play a little taste. All I could think about when I heard this song was just I could only envision a bunch of like 70 year old couples dancing at like an amphitheater in northern Virginia, like Wolf Trap. <laughs> just, you know, the kind of place where they where they let you bring your own snacks and wine into the venue and they drag their 17 year old son and they're just like dancing. Maybe reminds of like when they when they used to smoke grass and they still call it grass. It was such a. Because it was more like grass back then. Yeah, but it was this song was such, <laughs> you had to smoke a lot. This song was such perfect, like adult cheese. But I say adult, I mean like my dad's age, like you know, seventy five, eighty. Like this was the same feeling I got when my parents used to drag me to see Peter, Paul, and Mary, because I've seen them live like seven times because of my parents. Great song, love this song. Any thoughts? Um, this one I thought was okay. I didn't really, didn't really connect with that one. Uh, there is one coming up though that I, that I, that I, you know, I'm a melancholy son of a bitch. Yeah, I know. I know you got, you, know? you got to, you so, got, you're, you're, you're melancholy in the infinite sadness. You're, you're the third Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> you're the Smashing Pumpkins in like 1996, dude. All right, let's dive into Run Silent, Run Deep. This is another Bob Dylan-esque song with vague biblical lyrics about floods and hell. Peter, play the chorus. Run silent, run deep. Run, river, run. Run, river, run. 
So funny thing about this song, it was actually recorded in 1987 for his album Come As You Are that was mired in big gated drums in 80 production. And so what I did was I uh, went and listened to the original and it's the most 80s shit I have ever heard in my life. Peter, play a little bit of the 80s version. Dude, I fucking love this 80s version. Like, I love it. Yeah. Uh, it is perfect 80s. I I got a weird relationship with the 80s. How so? Where I I there's just so much of the pop stuff. I'm I'm finally coming around. There's a station on uh uh Sirius Satellite Radio that's just 80s stuff, and it's so hard for me to listen to it. I'm finally getting into a lot of bands that I just wasn't into before, like some of the new wave stuff, and st- because I hated the drum sound and everything just sounded so cheesy to me in the '80s, and it just didn't seem none of it seemed timeless. Like everything just seemed so fucking real in the '70s. Yeah, I'm not saying there wasn't schlock and everything, but it just got really super cheesy. Everything was fun, party, cocaine of the '80s. It was sort of the roaring 20s without the dumb hats and bad dancing. You know, I guess the bad dancing is always, you know, if there's white people involved. But, like, it was, it was I don't know. It's, it's um, I've finally been able to go back. Like, they played so much fucking Phil Collins that for the first time ever, my wife played Susudio and actually liked the song. That fucking song, they would not stop playing it. So anything that has those gated drums. yeah. Um, which all came about. There's a great video on how they came about that drum sound. It was actually, I believe it was an accident on a recording, a Peter Gabriel thing. I think he showed um, that to me. For some reason, yeah, I, it had I to feel do like with I've the microphone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It had to do with there was a microphone on in the studio, not not where the drummer was playing. It was in where the mixing board was or something, and, and the guy was playing the drums, and then they heard it. And they were like, what the fuck is that? And then Peter Gabriel was like, that's the sound. I want that. And then everybody flipped out. It was so different because they had the really dry drums in uh, the 70s. Everything was like, you know, fucking Ringo used to put a, a towel over his, his snare drum and floor tom and shit. Um, it was really like a dry, no overtones sort of decade, big open fills. And then that shit came, the gated drums. I just, I just wasn't into it. That's why some of that Don Henley stuff was amazing that he was able to have that 80s sound and still do something that actually made you think. Yeah. Like even like Boys of Summer, which is, you know, sort of the uh, coming of age song or whatever. But, you know, it made you it, it, it gave you a different emotion than so much of that other shit. It was just like, yeah, you know, you know, funky cold Medina and <laughs> hair metal and all of that stuff. It was just like I mean, everything was just like. MTV Spring Break vibe, it seems. Also, but do not shit on Funky Cold Medina because you know you fuck with that song. You know it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying. Look. I'm not. Sh- I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying there was an abundance of that vibe. Look, yeah. anything that's happening, there's the Richard Pryor, James Brown version of it. If yeah. you do that at the height, I, I, yeah, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's always good shit. But I'm just generally speaking, there was just a lot of that. All right, let's dive into the next you know? song, uh, Homework. 
Uh, Wolf, once again, first recorded this Otis Rush cover from 1962 about the difficulty of concentrating with schoolyard lust for the 1970 debut album by the Jay Giles Band. That version had a standard upbeat bar band vibe to it, but this one, in my opinion, sounds kind of like Tom Waits uh, in this like hybrid yeah. blues with these interesting percussive instrumental choices. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of that at 124. You were talking about how cool Peter Wolf was. I'm about to call him P Dub, and then I was like, "Stop yourself!" It was like how cool Peter, Peter Wolf is. Peter Wolf. <laughs> he the way he sings in this, like he says, he goes, "Alabadiba, alamido," like it's all like like he's got big, like he's got like a bee sting tongue, and he's just like like <laughs> like yeah. the tongue is just like just I can barely move it around in my mouth. Great song. I just feel like if 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 you were like. If somebody knew him and he said, yeah, his, his band is jamming tonight. You want to come over and watch him just jam? And you'd be like, yeah. And, and if you came walking in and they were already playing, if they were messing around, like I would think that they would be playing this and they'd all be looking at each other, smiling, just having a good time making music. That's what this feels like. This just feels like everybody had fun on it. So I liked it. No, for sure. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speaker's Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. All right, which then brings us to the next song, Five O'Clock Angel, which is funny uh, because uh, being that I love Spotify uh, and I've had it for years, I always put it on random and just let it pick the music for me and it just goes through all the different shit that I like and just finds other music in that genre. And it found me this song that I saved my playlist two years ago. So I was really shocked when this popped up on the record. Peter... Play the chorus. Five o'clock, 
whispers like a reverie. Five o'clock. I, I realize why I like this album. Why? Because this is an album, if you have regrets and you've made mistakes, um, which I think a lot of people can relate to. There's just something about this. Like, this is... Uh, it's about the first drink of the day. That's what it's about. It is. Okay, so this is a guy, at this point, he's done all his dirt. He's got busted, or the bottom line is he's fucking living the results of his life work, his life's work, which he's not happy about. And uh, I just, it's just the vibe, just the music. It just fits perfectly where you just kind of sitting there. Um, I've had those moments in my life where everything kind of fell apart and you, f- whether you're alone or not, you feel alone. Yeah. I feel like it catches like that vibe. Like, I mean, I had, you know, chicks dump me or I had, uh, Hey, you're on this thing and Hey, we're replacing you or it got canceled or, um, yeah. Now your agent and manager dumped you and yeah. you're coming back like, what the fuck? Am I the fucking guy who doesn't like, how do, how do I get the momentum going again? Yeah. You know, I was pushing the rock up the hill and it just rolled over me and went right back down to the bottom. What am I going to do? Am I going to quit? Am I going to go down? What the fuck? And then you, hey, maybe I'll just sit down and have a drink. <laughs> put on <laughs> put on some Peter Wolf and yeah, Peter Wolf and meet, and, meet, and meet another sorry soul. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right, being that this is 5 o'clock Angel, it's about drinking your first drink at 5 p.m. I just want to ask you this because I know you don't drink anymore. Uh, what was the earliest you ever had a drink after a sleep? So it's not like you were drinking all night. You slept. Oh, every year at the Rose Bowl. What time is that? Every you? year at the Rose Bowl, I would have one at about 7.02 in the morning. Fuck! I'd have a Miller High Life. <laughs> Miller High Life. And we would drink for an hour. And then there was a tradition. At 8 o'clock, I'd say, all right, who wants a heater? And then I would forget the rest of the tailgate. And then yes. I would just be at the football game. Oh, I love that. <laughs> All right. Let's go into Hey Jordan. Uh, this kind of reminded me of like some Sam Cooke shit. This is like very easygoing. It's got a little finger snapping, some swinging style on it. And it's just about. I love this song. Great song. Just about giving friendly advice to a girl with this boy's name. Uh, I like this song, but there was there was one part that really made me chuckle. Uh, Peter, play 122. Hey, John, life's a river and it bends. The search for love abiding just never seems to end. So the, the real lyrics are, hey, Jordan, life's a river and it bends. The search for love abiding just never seems to end. I thought he said the search for Joe Biden just never seems to end. I was like, wait, he gave, he's giving a shout out to Joe Biden in this. Um, great song, though, man. This is where I, the, the album is really starting to get a good feel to it. And it, this is music that I generally would never listen to. And yet I loved it so much. No, I was I was I was I was all in by the second track. So I was I'm just at this point. In my listening, I was just enjoying the ride, and uh, I just, I don't know, I just, I love the lyrics of this song. It was just a cool, fun, laid-back song. You know, as you get older, man, you like, you don't like shit in your face. It's just like, I get it, I get it. You're the toughest guy in the room. I'm just over here drinking, chilling out. I get it, man. Go ahead. 
go fuck them all, man. This is your time. I've had my time. I'm chilling. Let me ask you a question because so this this song is just about centering this person named Jordan. You know, you go on stage and what's so great about your your comedy is because sometimes your frustration in just the regular world is just you venting with that is so amazing to watch because the way you put it. But before you go on stage, do you do anything to like center yourself? Like, do you have a routine that gets you like before you're doing you're doing Madison Square Garden, which I was with you that night. Both times you did it. And I didn't see you for that, like, maybe a half hour right before they called your name. Do, do you have a ritual? Yeah. What is it? I do. Uh, I just have tricks to get myself present and they just figured out basically how my brain works. So um, you have to, I, you got to get yourself into this, this, the good part of I don't give a fuck. Not this self-sabotage of I don't give a fuck. You can't give a fuck when you go out there. At the same time, you have to give them the URL. And it's this weird place you kind of have to go. And I think with each person, it's a different little sort of maze to get them into that headspace. But I cannot be thinking of anything. And I cannot go out there and just go into my jokes or I'll be trapped in my act. I have to go out there. And just be like open and whatever I think, I just say it before my brain judges it and like, well, that's not part of your act. So I just start talking. And then if I'm talking, that leads to something. Somebody says something. I see somebody with the silly shirt, just something. And then I'm just there and then we're doing it and I'm fucking around. And it's like, uh, you know, like when you catch a zone as a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're wondering, like, how the fuck do I. The next night you can't get it and you can't get it. You're like, why the fuck did I get it? That Because that night you went up there and you weren't trying to get into a zone. So I learned that when I had a really good show, don't record. You know, if you record it, don't go back and listen to it. Yeah. Don't do all of that because all that's going to do is put you between your ears when you get on stage the next time because you're thinking about last night's show rather than then. And you have to have sort of this cockiness in you where you're just like, well, I already did that. So I, I know I have the talent to do it again. So I don't need to hang on to it and record and, and, and uh, memorize everything that I fucking said. Like I did it. I can do it again. And you have to believe it. The arrogance is like believing in your talent that that magic is going to happen again. Cause, but you have to, cause if you don't, it won't. Yeah. Took me 20 years to figure that out, and I just gave it to you in a minute and a half. And that was probably No, 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 because I needed to hear that because it's the same <laughs> shit. Dude, it's the, it's the same shit that, like, like I've been, I've been in acting classes for the last few years, and when I used to audition before these acting classes, I used to walk into the room, I knew the lines, I knew everything, and I could run it with my friends and kill it, and the second you get in that room, you're not present. So my acting coach, all she taught me to do was center myself to know that, to think about the work words in the character and not the fact that I'm being, you know, critiqued by a casting director. And it's, and now I've applied that to my stand up. And so just like you said, like, like when you, you could just go up there and, and I, so I basically do the same thing, which is like, I won't 
open with a joke. I'll say something about the crowd that at least lets them know that I'm there in the room with them instead of being in my head. And since I started doing that, all my sets have become mediocre. And mediocre is pretty good. <laughs> all right, let's dive into Too Close Together. This is actually uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, little things about the album. I love this one. So you really feel like you're in the room during the recording of this. And something really cool is, one, this is a cover of Sonny Boy Williamson's tune, it also features Keith Richards on Chuck Berry style guitar and Jay Giles Band's harmonica god, and I love this dude's name, Magic Dick. Uh, fun fact about this, Wolf and the band recorded it live in the chess record style after waiting hours for Keith Richards to finally show up. According to Wolf, he came in, made some hellified music, then he charmed each and everybody in the studio and then rolled out as the sun was coming up. That's the most Keith Richards shit I have ever heard. Peter, play a little bit of Keith solo. To me, that's what the whole thing is. Like all of, you know, modern rock music and everything is standing on the shoulders of all of that, uh, all of that stuff. It was all of those original blues guys like Sonny Boy Williamson, all of them. And then, you know, white artists bringing it to all the white people that didn't know about it. And then, you know, if you had half a brain, you'd be like, well, who's this Sonny Boy Williamson guy? If they gave you credit. Yeah. Some bands did not give credit. But if they gave credit... Then you went back that way and you're like, oh, my God, you know, and you found out about Lightning Hopkins and uh, all of these other guys that were just incredible, incredible, um, just incredible players and stuff. And I, I just I, this just like you can you can feel Keith Richards smiling throughout this yes. whole thing. And yes, I, I saw a thing on Keith one time how much he loves music. He was sitting down playing piano. He's a really good piano player too, playing like this blues thing. And as he was playing it for the reporter, he was smiling like, like almost like he was listening to somebody else doing it. Like he just, like he just loved so much, loved the blues so much, loved the, the piano. And he was talking about how much he loved guitar. He goes, I even love the smell of him. He goes, I'll open up a guitar case to get my guitar. And he goes, the smell, he goes, I just want to crawl in and close the lid. Oh. And it's just like, that's why. That's why he's so compelling because he he loves it to the marrow. Yeah. In, inside of him, so it's like when I listen to this track, like um, you know, I just feel like Peter Wolf probably forever wanted to jam with this guy. They got to fucking jam. They've respected each other for a long time, or and probably they've jammed before, or whatever. And they just, just come on and just fucking hit record and let's just do this. Have a good time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like everything about like, you know, as far as my envy as a comedian of musicians, cause I have, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I was younger, it was more athletes, but now it's like, I just think musicians are the greatest things ever, you know, uh, like a great song. I just think trumps everything. I agree so, with you. Uh, you know, I agree and, with you. And, and, and this vibe, this, this vibe is like literally party. like, I just wish I was the guy playing the drums. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a party. All right. Uh, some things you don't want to know. Uh, just a country waltz song featuring uh, our uh, past 500 artist, Steve Earle. Uh, love this song because I love uh, Steve Earle so much. Play the chorus, Peter. Some things about love that never 
Great song about that nagging feeling of wondering who your lover might be thinking about while you are together, but knowing deep down that the answer won't make anything better. So I wanted to ask you this because I've known you for so many years. What is a hard truth you wish you didn't know? Oh, God. <laughs> I ain't going to... Um... I, I would just say stuff that I've discovered about myself. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not about other people at this point. I, I have a kid, so I got to make sure I pass on as much good stuff as I can and keep the bad parts of me, which are a lot. And um, I would say, uh, fuck, man. I don't know shit. I don't want to talk about on the podcast. For sure, put it that way. For some reason, I thought you were. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that the bankers control the world. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I have a feeling that's going to be the answer. Oh, they do. Con- <laughs> considering the pandemic is happening and everybody else is giving, trying to give people a break, and they're still charging people in interest. They should just. We all know it's a Ponzi scheme. We all know what happens when the wheels stop moving, the whole thing falls apart. So what they should do is just hit pause, like it's a video game. Instead, they had to give. They had to borrow trillions. The government just borrowed a fucking trillion dollars from these same fucking assholes that are crippling everybody. Why you can't afford a place anywhere. And I don't know why they don't stand up to these fucking pencil pushing fucking pussies. (laughs) I don't know why they just don't do it. Yeah. Just somebody have the balls to come out being like, we're all slaves to them. Half the shit I'm saying up here, I don't want to be saying. I just have to say it. So they don't kick me out and then I can go do the fucking speech tour like Obama and Clinton and fucking George Bush and all these guys do. So I can make three and a grand a night and get my, my blood money. Yeah. My bribe, my uh, wash the <laughs> fucking bribe money. Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. All right, uh, next one, Oh Marianne. Uh, this one actually is probably one of my favorites on the record, uh, but it's a song that I, I didn't start enjoying until last night's listen to it. Uh, and this is just a Mexican-flavored plea to the song's title lady to enjoy life and love, however fleeting they both may be. Great song, but the bridge is straight fire. Peter, play the bridge. Make a wish on a wild wind. Let it fly to the world and dance, and dance. 
I love that he's now covering so many different genres. He's doing rhythm and blues. He's doing like, you know, like almost biblical, like, you know, like the, I don't call it preacher music, but what do you call that? Gospel? Yeah. He's playing gospel. There's, 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 and now he's ventured into like some fucking, some little Mexican like ha-cha-cha-cha shit, which is fucking dope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, is that how they define it? Is this is some hot cha 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 music? <laughs> I, don't, I I don't know. I just actually just kind of made me the whole album kind of made me think about why troubled people are so compelling and interesting, and why you gravitate. You know what it is? Is I think because something's going to happen. You know, where if somebody is at peace. You just gonna everything's just gonna be chill. There's not a breeze in the air. Like yeah. nothing's really gonna happen. It's a great place to be mentally. Yeah. But um, as far as entertainment goes, like something needs to combust. And uh, I don't know. He's a great storyteller. That Peter Wolf. I'll tell you. I think this kid's got a future. All right. Last song on the album. Uh, Sleepless. The title track. The album closes. With this meditative and sobering celebration of having lived the life of a night owl, great album closer, especially when it comes back in with the big finish at the end. Peter, play the big finish. Bill, are are you a night owl? I don't. I don't. For some reason, I know you're not now. But were you ever just a dude that was going to bed every night at 4 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah, when I when I would get f- late-night food spots at the cellar. Oh, it's the best. And, uh, yeah, me and Bobby Kelly, we used to we'd do our spots and then hang with Patrice and Norton and Keith and just give each other shit till, like, 3, 4 in the morning. And I remember numerous times coming home, me and Bobby were living together. A couple of times we came home as people were going to work. And then we would go to sleep and wake up at like 2, 3 in the afternoon, have breakfast, play video games for like an hour, and then go back out to do spots again. And I hated that. I hated that life. I, and I was like, I have to stop doing this because um, it was not productive at all. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, I, yeah, I have this weird thing where I can do both. How are you balancing it now with being a dad? Like being still staying up or like and still getting up early or is it just you just power through? I have ridiculous energy until the getting my daughter ready for bed ritual kicks in. So it's like I'm good right through making everybody dinner and all that. But once the bath water gets going and my daughter knows she's going to bed and every little kid when they know they're going to bed, they're trying to squeeze out as much as they can of the day and they just start running around. Like her big thing is like, all right, let's, you know, let's strip down. Let's go take a bath. Second, she gets butt naked. She, she pretends like she's walking to the bathroom, yet lets out this delightful squeal and just takes off running down the hall and wants to be chased. So I have to, you know, it makes her laugh. I got to go for the laugh. So I, you know, chase her around and all of that a couple, two, three times. Then I get her in the tub. Go through all of that. She's got to pretend she's making me cookies and shit or whatever the hell she's into. <laughs> or fishing with the toys. Yeah. Do all of that. Then brushing the teeth. Drying her off. Brush the teeth. The lotion. The fucking 
put on the diaper, put on the pajamas. And then I got to read three books. Then I got to sing the Barney I Love You song to her. Once slow, the second time fast. Then I put her in and all that. And by the time I get through all of that, all of my thoughts of going out to do a spot or I could just go lay down and go to sleep next to my wife. It, that, what I have to do then is before the whole bath ritual starts and putting in her bed, I have to have my clothes on to go do a spot for the most part. Um, yeah. You know, some old T-shirt because she's going to get me all wet, splashing me. But like I can still the jeans. So I just and then what I do is if I'm going to do a spot, the second I get her into bed, I walk in, put on the show shirt, grab my jacket, and I go outside, and all the tired, the second I smell the air, I wake up, and then I actually drive down to the store with the window down in my car. <laughs> then it's weird. Then I can stay up to like 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah. But if I do, she's going to be up at 7, and then I'm fucked. Yeah. All right, you want to do some facts and then get out of here? Yep. All right, here we go. Let me hit you with it. Some facts and some facts. Facts, baby, facts. All right. In the late 60s, Wolf was briefly roommates with director David Lynch, who had to kick him out for not paying rent. Let me ask you a question. So you are doing the Patrice O'Neill documentary. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to watch it because all things comedy uh, is all things comedy is producing it. Um, his his uh, wife Vaughn sold it to Comedy Central. That all happened, and then they came to us. So it's really Vaughn's project. But uh, uh, well, let me ask you. Let, let me ask you a question. What what should our listeners who don't know about Patrice know about him? All right. Well, something people didn't know is that he had uh, tremendous insecurity. Because he came off as this really? super confident person. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that, all of that vibe, you know, he was, he had that thing where he was very confident he was but he was also super vulnerable and it's that's the mixture that makes somebody great is you got to have the confidence to do and say what you want to say but that it's that questioning that vulnerability that unsureness is what gives it depth and because this you know there's plenty of just cocky assholes up on stage peacocking around thinking they're saying something and they're not or you watch them and you're just like, this person can perform. They're definitely funny. What is it about them that is not making me give a shit about anything that they say? Why am I going to leave the club and not remember one thing that they say? And a lot of that comes down to, um, yeah, it's just a lack of, uh, you're not really putting yourself out there. You're doing a character of putting somebody out there. Or you're too afraid yeah. to. Sometimes you're too afraid. I was like that for a long time. So I was just this angry, screaming asshole, sweating when I was up there. And then, um, you know. When now I, you when, don't sweat. Uh, <laughs> now you're now you sweat proof. No, no, you know, you know, it's it's yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's a journey, man. Just like this. There's another great thing about this album. I I think which is which is great before I even listen to it. When the the title track, the, the title of the album is also the name of a song, and that song is the last track on the album. That's a pretty bold statement, I think, where it's just like um that the title track, you can w- you can listen to everything else, and you, I know you're still going to be there to hear this thing. And uh, I think that 
I like the name of the album too because I bet it's uh, some of the songs of melancholy and regret will make you sleepless. How hard Peter Wolf works will make you sleepless. Uh, maybe he can't shut his brain off. There's like I like that stuff where there's a zillion different ways to kind of take it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. All right, next one. Peter was married to actress Faye Dunaway from 1974 to 1979, and they both had pretty solid careers going during that time. I had no idea that he was married to Faye. I didn't either. Love me some Faye Dunaway. How do you and Nia balance each other's careers? Like, how do you guys, is it difficult? Uh, I'm difficult, and I'm very different from her. (laughs) And uh, I kind of grew up, I remember someone, when I talked about my childhood, he he thought it sounded like, oh, this woman, she thought it sounded like Lord of the Flies. So I had to go and go read that book. And I'm going to tell you, I saw that movie, and when they pushed the rock on the fat fucking nerd or whatever, I actually kind of liked, enjoyed it. Um, I, I didn't feel bad for him. Um, which is a reflection of how I was brought up and stuff that I had to kind of get past. So I am... For the longest time, I died on every hill. So what I'm learning yeah. in this thing is that I can I can be a real asshole, man, and I can say some really rude, all the way to hurtful shit without even realizing that I'm doing it because I'm not talking to my wife like she's a woman. I'm talking to her like I'm playing sports or I'm about to get into, like, I'm trying to keep, people from bullying me or whatever. And I just, it's just not, that's not the way you should talk to a woman. It's not like I name call or anything like that. It's just yeah. my vibe is like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? I don't want to <laughs> fucking blah, 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 blah. You don't, you shouldn't talk like to your wife like that. So I'm trying to stop doing that, but that's yeah. how everybody yeah. talked when I was growing up, you know? I remember my, my mother would bring in a steak to the table, right? She cooked the whole meal, watched the kids. And if my dad didn't like it, I'd be like, oh, Christ, you cooked the shit out of it. And I just like, when I think of that, <laughs> then she would just pick it up and put it back on the grill. It's like, I would be wearing that meal. So um, that's what I grew up watching. So I'm trying to get rid of, rid of that. <laughs> no, I love it. All right. Uh, Wolf toured with Kid Rock's 2008 Rock and Roll Revival Tour that also featured Rev Run from Run DMC. What's the strangest Bill lineup you ever played on? Oh, that I ever played on? Um, Yeah. Well, speaking of music, probably being the opening act on a couple of shows, half dozen shows for Winona Judd. Um, what? When do wait? When the fu- wait? When the fuck? I thought you were about to say Queens of the Stone Age. I opened for those guys <laughs> too. Nona I opened Judd? for them one time. No, I know, I know. But wait, when? When? Tell me. Go back to Winona, because that's awesome. I got that gig because Greg Rogel got fired from that gig because they made the mistake of telling Greg what he couldn't couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg is a New Yorker And you don't do that to a New Yorker Forget about a stand-up comedian And a stand-up comedian New Yorker You don't tell them what they can and can't say So I forget Because um, he, he lost You know, whatever Not even lost, He didn't give a fuck He just knew the gig wasn't for him So he went out guns a-blazing So somehow I got the gig I was the next person they picked And then he called me up He goes, hey man, I heard you got that gig 
listen, just watch out for this, 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 and this, this fucking tight ass and all this shit. So I was like, all right. And then what was funny was when I got to the venue before I even went on stage, the, the stage manager read me the riot act about what I couldn't, couldn't say. And he goes, okay. Cause we, we just recently had this, this gentleman trying to open for us. And he went out there and he said this, and he was saying all this shit that Greg was saying. And I was chewing my lip <laughs> Trying not to laugh because I knew I was going to call Greg and tell him all of this stuff and we were both going to get a big laugh out of it. So um, those gigs were good if I was inside. But when she was playing outside, like she played some racetrack between L.A. and um, San Diego, that was fucking horrible during the day. I just ate my balls on that one. And then she did a casino in Laughlin, Nevada, and they didn't have a venue big enough for her, so she was performing outside in the parking lot. Oh, God. And that was another one. <laughs> I just remember this this lesbian in the crowd, like real fucking diesel, could have body slammed me, and she was just, my whole set was just chanting, Why no, no? Why no, no? Why no, no? And I wasn't allowed to curse. I couldn't say anything. And what I did was, in a clean way, I made fun of her really short haircut. Yeah. And I, cause I knew that there was a bunch of country people there that were probably Bible belt people and didn't approve of her lifestyle. So I actually manipulated the rest of the crowd into being homophobic <laughs> so I could get through my act. <laughs> I made, I made homophobia work for me. <laughs> I can't say I did it on purpose. I just made fun of her haircut and I could tell the way they were laugh with the way they laughed and immediately got on my side. Yeah. Um, was some uh, Jesus loves us best shit. And usually I don't like that stuff, but in that instance, I felt she deserved it. Fuck yeah, she did. Oh, that's great, dude. All right, last yep. fact, last fact. On April 14th, 2018, Boston's mayor, Marty Walsh, honored him by declaring that day Peter Wolf Day. Do you know that? Did you know that April 14th was Peter Wolf Day in Boston? No. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a mayor named Marty Walsh. <laughs> Dude, fucking Marty Walsh. He's fucking, he's just, he ain't doing <laughs> shit for the unions. Uh, that's awesome. I think that it's, that's, that's such a great thing because Peter Wolf did so much for the city of Boston, uh, aside from being one of the pioneers on yeah. WBCN having one of the great rock bands that came out of the incredible music scene that brought us Aerosmith, Jake Isles, and all those bands, uh, the band Boston, Morphine. We've had some killer bands. And um, he's sort of the uh, you know the godfather of that whole scene, along with Steven Tyler and all of those guys. So, you know, not to get those two guys going again, but <laughs> gave both credit. There it is. Let me ask you this. This is, this is the last question. What's the greatest honor you've ever received? Being on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers during a pandemic. I don't even want you to answer it real because I'm going to leave it, <laughs> leave it with that. Bill, this was, this was so much fun, dude. You know what? I mean, my it, wife giving me my beautiful daughter, a beautiful, yeah. healthy, incredible kid. Dude, she's a riot. I was just trying to do sit-ups and she does this wrestling move where she smiles. She comes up, it leaps up in the air and lands. She does like Hulk Hogan's finishing move on my stomach and she thinks it's the funniest thing ever and just refuses to stop doing it. So then I put my legs up so she couldn't do it. And I was trying to hold myself in like a V I'm doing my core workout. So you know what she did? 
She went up and she started licking the back of my head because she knew that I would find it gross. And she thought it was the funniest thing ever. I'm telling you, she's hilarious. She's the best, dude. Dude, you're the best. This was great. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on, man. All right, dude. Stay safe, man. Everybody stay away from each other. All right, I'll see you. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Bill Burr, ladies and gentlemen, a true doog. You can find Bill on Twitter at Bill Burr, on Instagram at Wilford Burr, and on Facebook and everything else. It's just Bill Burr. Make sure you listen to the Monday Morning Podcast wherever you get your pods, but really on Spotify. Watch The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Watch Paper Tiger, his special on Netflix, and make sure you check out the new season of F is for Family on Netflix when it comes out this year in 2020. Now, we just listened to Peter Wolf from 2002. This week, little Maddie Pinfield, our music director, selected Jesse Malin, who's actually good friends with uh, Joe Sib, and I think he's going to be on the podcast eventually. Malin began his performing career in the 80s, New York-based hardcore band Heart Attack, and later joined D-Generation for eight years in the 90s before going solo. Jesse cites Peter Wolf, Tom Waits, and Neil Young as influences. Check out his new song, Meet Me at the End of the World, on Spotify. Check out the link for all of this on our website. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured, on the 500 website. Send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put your album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Cheap Trick Week with their 1978 live album, Cheap Trick at Budokan. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Dougal. Dougal. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.